podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Monday, the 25th of April, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or whatever it is you're geoblocked from. If you're a UK expat and you want access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub All Four, or an Irish expat wanting RTE Player or GAA Go, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to be. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout, either the hardware or software package. The hardware package is a router which is sent out to you. The software package is instant download to your device. And with a Liberty Shield VPN, you can keep your data safe while enjoying whatever it is you want to enjoy on the interwebs. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. So again, libertyshield.com and the code EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we had a bizarre weekend in the Premier League, as we have pretty much every weekend. It began with Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1. In what was a fairly poor game of football, it must be said, two Two fallen sides, two teams that once dominated the English football landscape, now scrapping for fourth. Neither of them really warranting fourth, if we're being honest. Arsenal won the game largely because of silly things Manchester United did, but Manchester United will rightly feel wronged by some of the decisions that went against them. Nuno Tavares put Arsenal one up on three minutes. Good work from Saka. And Tavares gets a tap in at the back post. Saka himself made a two on 32 minutes from the penalty spot. Now, I do agree with this penalty. The ball is played into the box. It looks like initially it looked like Saka played a quick pass to Enketia, who finished. Enketia was offside and was ruled offside, but VAR had another look. And Saka was fouled by Alex Tellez. Penalty given, Saka steps up and scores. Two minutes later, Cristiano Ronaldo pulls one back for United. It's a good cross by Nemanja Matic. It's appalling defending by Arsenal. And Cristiano finishes well with his left foot. I was actually thrilled for him. You know I'm not a big fan, but I was actually thrilled for him that he got his goal. Bruno Fernandes would miss a penalty 
early in the second half after a ridiculous handball by Nuno Tavares. But if we go back before that, there were a couple of penalty shouts for Manchester United. One on a Lange that I thought was a penalty and one that was a handball that I think is stonewall. I think it's absolutely stonewall. Jaden Sancho is driving into the box. Cedric falls over, swipes backwards with his hands as he's crawling along. There's a very clear swiping motion. How it's not given as a penalty, I just don't know. I genuinely don't know. But I thought United could have had two penalties in that first half. Which... I mean, they may have missed them because they missed the one in the second half, but I assume if Bruno takes the first one and misses, he doesn't take the others. Um, I thought United were hard done by. Bruno hit, takes the penalty, sends Ramsdale the wrong way, hits the post. Ramsdale gets up and starts celebrating like he's actually done something here. Just, It's really embarrassing. And then lads running over to congratulate him on having gone the wrong way mortified, absolutely mortified for you. Granite Jacket made a 3-1 on 70. Again, Arsenal have complaints about this because Eddie Nketiah is offside and he is blocking the view of the goalkeeper. But it's a brilliant strike by Xhaka. If De Gea sees it earlier, he saves it because it's, it's not in the corner. It's just really well struck. United had another goal disallowed. Cristiano, he was offside. Ralph Ranić said afterwards that he wasn't, but he was. But I think their real reason to be annoyed here is the Alanga one, you can argue that the cows come home, but this the one by Cedric is, is one of the most blatant penalties you'll ever see. I'm sorry, it just is. Now, over the 90 minutes, I would say Arsenal were definitely the better team. United had about a 30-minute spell in the game, though, where they actually looked like a good football team. They actually looked like they knew what they were meant to be doing. And then once Xhaka scored, that was it, game over. United just folded. It's a big three points for Arsenal, especially off the back of the three points they took from Chelsea in midweek. And they've now reached 60 points for the season. And because of results elsewhere, they found themselves back into fourth position, two points clear of Spurs. They still have to go to Spurs. But their path to top four is opening back up. Now, they've still got three really difficult away games. West Ham, Tottenham and Newcastle. Their home games should be straightforward. Leeds and Everton. But those away games are going to be tough because Newcastle are just a completely different team to what we were seeing from them earlier in the season. I think Newcastle have won, is it six at home in a row? Something like that. Let's have a quick look. Newcastle, I didn't think was going to be a tough game for them. It is going to be a tough game. Uh, Newcastle, one, two, three, four, five, six home games in a row. They're unbeaten in their last eight games at home. The guy points out they've got the second most points in the league in 2022. They've just been on a tremendous run. 
other than that three three game stretch where they lost to Chelsea, Everton, and Spurs. And let's be fair, you don't expect them to get anything at Stamford Bridge, despite Chelsea's poor home form, or at Tottenham. The Everton one's the bad result. The Everton one sticks out a mile in their results this season. And they drew at Watford in their first game of this calendar year, which wasn't a good result. But aside from that, only that Everton away game is a bad result. Everything else is a really good result. It's either a win or a good draw away to West Ham. Considering what a mess they were at the turn of the year, they had one win. They had eleven points, and they've taken thirty-two points since the turn of the year. They've won the last four in a row. They've won ten of their last fourteen. That is crazy. Thirty-two points since the turn of the year. That is that is really, really impressive from the turn. Anyway, it'll be a difficult game for Arsenal. Their path to top four is still more difficult than Spurs, but they're giving themselves a fighting chance. And this is the first time we've really seen them show any kind of fight. Um, for United... They just look like a busted flush, to be honest. They're six points behind Arsenal. They've played a game more. They have a very difficult game coming next against Chelsea. But then their last three are all winnable. But they're winnable if you're competent, and United aren't competent. So who knows? They may well lose a couple of them. Like You wouldn't be surprised if they lost away to Brighton or away to Palace. You wouldn't be surprised if Brentford went and beat them at Old Trafford either, the way they're playing. Leicester nil, Aston Villa nil in an absolute snooze fest of a game where very little happened. Neither team should be proud of themselves. And it very much looked like two teams on the beach just wanting the season to end. Leicester are 10th. Villa are 15th. And it might well be time to start having, you know, some small conversations about how how poor Villa have been under Gerard. You know, they got their initial new manager bounce, as you would have hoped they would have gotten. And those things normally last for, you know, about a month. So they won four games in that first month, four of their first six. Since then, they've only won four games. They've won four of their last 15 in the Premier League under Steven Gerrard. That's not good. They also got dumped out of the FA Cup at the first hurdle. So four of their last 16 games. They've lost nine of them and drawn three. So that, that first period we took over, four wins, two draws, the, the, sorry, four wins, two defeats. And the defeats were to Liverpool and City, where they put on good performances. And since then, it's, it's just been poor. Since then, it has just been bad. 
And I would argue they're no better now than they were under Dean Smith. Now, of course, he needs time. He'll need a preseason. He'll need to get more of his own players in. But, I mean, he did go in January and buy Lucadinia. He brought in Callum Chambers. Young Kerr Smith came in. Now, he's a, he's a young player for the long term. Very promising young centre-back. But he has spent some money. And he hasn't really spent it all that wisely. I mean, Dean is, Dean is a good left-back. But 25 million could have got you a good centre-back. And centre-back was your bigger issue. Matt Target's fine. Matt Target's having a good old time up at Newcastle. And Luca Dean is currently injured. So you could have had Target... And a real centre back instead of instead you've got Dina and Mings, which just isn't good. Just isn't good at all. And it's not like he took over a bad squad at Villa. There's a lot of talent there. They'd want to be. They've spent enough money on the squad. But you know, Martinez's quality, Cash, Conza, Douglas Louise. A lot of people like McGinn, Buendia, Watkins, Sanson. These are good players. It's not like he took over the bad news bears. He took over good players and a great academy. The Ramsey brothers, Chukwemeka. These are talented players. It just hasn't gone well. Now, we can't judge him till next season, but early signs are that he's nowhere close to being anything like a guy that should be considered for the Liverpool job in two years, as some people would want him to be. We'll move on. Manchester City 5, Watford 1. Any hopes any Liverpool fan had of Watford doing them a favour we're out the door on four minutes. Gabriel Jesus with a tap in from six yards. He made a two on 23 with a great header. Well, no, it's a simple header, but it's a great cross from De Bruyne. It's an unbelievable cross from De Bruyne. It's a, it's a header from about five yards for Jesus. Hassan Kamara scored on, on 28 minutes to give Watford a bit of hope, but Rodri with an absolute worldie on 34 minutes, steps onto the ball, catches it on his chest, and just unleashes a shot that buries itself in the back of the net. One of those that stayed hit. You could have put two keepers in, they weren't saving it. 3-1 at half time. City had had a couple of shaky moments defensively, but you knew this was game over. And it was absolutely game over 15 seconds into the second half when Kamara decided, because he'd scored, he had to do something silly. Gave the ball to Jesus. Jesus drove into the box. Ben Foster can't really do anything. He brings him down. And Jesus steps up and scores. And then Jesus himself on 53 minutes after more good work by De Bruyne, cutting it back to him. And probably the best goal of the bunch. A really nice finish past Foster. Four for Jesus. Five for City. Gabriel Jesus, who was linked to to, uh, Arsenal on Thursday or Friday, Fighting for a place at City, I don't know, but it was a it was a good performance and, and four good goals. So City remained top of the table. 
Watford remain 19th. Watford are now nine points from safety with only five games to go. Uh, at some point, people will have to talk about how poorly Hodgson has done here. There's been plenty of excuses made for him. And I've seen varying things, including, well, if they'd hired him when they hired Ranieri, perhaps he could have done a better job. That might be true. But at the same time, he has to be judged on what he's actually done. And what he's actually done is not much. He took over on the 25th of January. So his first game was Burnley away. They got a point. Uh, then they lost to West Ham, lost to Brighton. They did beat Aston Villa away from home. Again, just emphasizing how bad Villa have been. Lost to Palace. Drew at Manchester United away. So again, you know, kind of speaks to what kind of mess United have been. Uh, they beat, they sorry, they lost to Arsenal, but did give them a bit of a scare late on. Got hammered by Wolves. Somehow beat Southampton because Southampton are the weirdest team in the league. Lost to Liverpool, lost to Leeds, lost to Brentford, and got hammered by Manchester City. They play Burnley at home next, and if Burnley win, that is basically it for Watford. A Burnley win will leave them twelve points clear of Watford. Watford Watford would have four games left, so could potentially catch them on points. But Burnley's goal difference would be more than 20 better than Watford's. So I think it is time to say goodbye to them. Now, they could well spring a surprise and beat Burnley. I don't think they will. A draw wouldn't be a bad result for both teams. But Burnley will certainly go there with the intent to win. And given Watford's results against teams in and around them at the bottom of the table, you don't really expect much from Watford. You don't really expect much, especially at home. Their home form is an abomination. The last time they took a point, not not a win, just a point at home, was the 20th of November, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's last game in charge of Manchester United when Watford beat them 4-1. Since then, ni point at home. All season, they have taken seven points from home games. Seven. They beat Villa on the opening day of the season, and they beat United. And they drew with Newcastle back in September when Newcastle were homeless. Homeless? Hopeless. That's it. Everything else has come away from home. That is an abomination. An absolute abomination. Roy Hodgson has taken eight points from his 13 games in charge. It's not great. It's not great at all. Uh, Claudio took, let me see, what did Claudio manage? Uh, One did Claudio manage four points? No, Claudio took seven. Claudio took seven points. 
And uh, Cisco, who was only in charge for the first six games, sorry, seven games of the season, he also took seven points. So technically, Roy has taken the most points of Watford's three managers this season, but Cisco had the best points per game uh, total at one point per game. Uh, Roy is edging towards about half a point per game. And uh, Mr. Ranieri, who oversaw 13 games himself, um, slightly better than half. Yeah, not good. Not good. Watford. Uh, do you know what's really disappointing about Watford? This is what, what disappoints me, okay? So, if you're going to come up into this division and you're not going to invest in your defence properly, then you might as well just go all out and be like an attacking, slightly reckless kind of team. And there's a front four at Watford of Ishmael Asar on the right, Chicho Hernandez on the left, Emmanuel Dennis and Joe Pedro through the middle. That could have been really entertaining this season. And you've got Josh King then to bring in. So you had five for four positions. Now, they're not world beaters. I'm not telling you they are. But Sarah is very talented. Hernandez is very talented. Dennis has had a really good season. And I think Joe Pedro might be the most talented of them all. And King is a decent, proven Premier League player. Why not just come up and say, you know what? We can't defend. So we're going to try, we're going to try and win games 4-3. You know, you stick Luza and Etibo before he got hurt. Whoever. You just stick two in midfield. One to try and tackle and foul. The other to try and progress the ball. You go with Ngaki at right back and Messina at left back. Now they've brought in Kamara in January, so that's fine. He's better than Messina. But, you know, you had decent left backs. Um, you should never have played Danny Rose. Centre-backs were a mess. Samir was brought in in January. A guy who was predominantly a back three centre-back. He's probably a left back in a four. He looks at a place playing centre-back in a four and he's quite weak, so... That hasn't worked. Soralta's barely played all season. Truce to Kong, Cat Card. I mean, these guys playing. It's just an absolute mess. They should have just gone with a four-man attack and said, you know what? Who cares? Let's just go and try and score goals. If we're going to go down, we'll go down in a blaze of glory. We'll try and score as many goals as we can. And we'll be fun. We'll be fun. And if we're fun and people watch us and enjoy us, then maybe Ishmael Asar and Emmanuel Dennis boost their transfer value and we can sell them in the summer for high, for, for higher prices and then reinvest that money and actually buy a team, you know, go about building a team properly, buy some real centre-backs, a real goalkeeper, a couple of midfielders who aren't Tom Cleverly, that type of thing. But no. No, it's hard to see them now getting a decent price for Sar. 20, 25 million maybe. You could have got 40 if you'd gotten a really good season out of him. Now, I know he had the injury, but still, Dennis Dennis has had a, has had a very good season. He's been their best player by a country mile. Uh, I'm not sure what sort of fee they'll get for him, but 
I certainly wouldn't sell him for any less than, you know, 18, 20 million. Not considering he's proven he can play in this division. Uh, City remain top and it's comfortable for them. They'll have tougher tests along the way, but people shouldn't have expected them to lose to Watford. Uh, They play Real Madrid next. Then they play Leeds, then Real Madrid, then Manchester City play Newcastle at home, which will be tough enough. Then there is West Ham away, Aston Villa home, and there's a Wolves game that needs to be rescheduled somewhere in there. There's potentially a Champions League final if they get past Real Madrid. Um, Moving on, Norwich nil, Newcastle three. Uh, Newcastle, good value for the win, but uh, Kieran Dell should have put Norwich 2-0 up before Newcastle woke up into the game. He missed two absolute sitters. Really poor. Really, really poor. But Joe Linton made it one on 35. Really nice right-footed finish. And he made it two on 41. Good work by... Is either Jacob Murphy... Or Joe Willock. They both ran onto the ball. I think Murphy was one that got it and played it across. Either way, Jonathan taps home. Tune it up at half time. Into the second half. And this is the there are there's a lot of things that wind me up. One of the things that winds me up more than anything else is crap teams who are 2-0 down, pricking about with the ball at the back, trying to play out from the back. First of all, you're crap. You're not good enough to play out from the back. Secondly, you're 2-0 down and you're wasting time playing around at the back. Get the ball forward as quickly as you can. Try and make something happen. Try and get back into the game. Instead, they gift the ball to Bruno Gomerich on the edge of their own box and he just chips the keeper. It's brilliant from him. It's garbage from Norwich. I would be furious if I was a Norwich fan. Now, I don't know if Dean Smith is telling them to do this. If he is, I'd be really furious at him because that's outrageously bad. Outrageously bad. Your team aren't good enough to play about at the back. Your team selection was also a little bit questionable. I'll say that as well. Uh, Good win for the tune. As I said, they go top half now. They're now ninth. Ninth. That is ridiculous, the way they've turned their season around. Uh, Credit to Eddie Howe. He's done a very, very good job. Emil Kraft, by the way, with another good performance. Told everybody he was a good right back. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. But, you know, it is what it is. Four wins in a row for the turn. Uh, Big test next weekend. They play Liverpool. It's also a big test for Liverpool. Toon's running is tricky. It is tricky. They get Liverpool home, City away, Arsenal home, and then Burnley away on the last day of the season when Newcastle could well be on the beach and Burnley might well need to win to stay up. So Newcastle are going to have a say in the title, in top four, and in the relegation before the end of this season. But if they lose all four games, they've still done well. They'll still have done well. 
from where they were on January 1st to be where they are now is an outstanding achievement. So regardless of what happens over the next four games, they can be really proud of themselves. We'll move on to the next game then, which is another absolute snooze fest. Brentford versus Tottenham, nil-nil draw. Spurs should be ashamed of themselves the way they've just thrown away top four twice now. Twice they've had it in the palm of their hand. Just go and win your games and they've chucked it away. Now, obviously, they still have a chance. They still have a good chance because their five remaining games, they get Leicester home, which they should win. They go to Liverpool, I wouldn't expect them to take anything, but then they get Arsenal home, Burnley home, and Norwich away for the last three. They should take 12 points from those four games, those five games. That should, even if they lose to Liverpool, they should take 12 points. If they take 12 points, they end the season on 70 points. Now, the question is can Arsenal get to 70? For Arsenal to get to 70, in fact, and Spurs have the superior goal difference, do they not? They do by six goals. So Arsenal actually need to get to 71 or 72, as it would be. If Spurs win those four games, if they beat Arsenal, Arsenal need to win their other four games. They need to beat West Ham away, Leeds at home, Newcastle away, and Everton at home. I'd expect them to beat both Leeds and Everton, but West Ham and Newcastle are very tough games for them. So we'll see. We'll see. There's a long way to go there. Five games for both teams. That game between the two of them is going to be telling. There's a lot riding on that game. But for Arsenal now, they know a point in that game is enough. Because Spurs have just done what Spurs do. I still think there'll be another swing in it. I still don't trust Arsenal at all. And this is a one-season window for Arsenal because next season Spurs will be better under Conte. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. United will be better under Ten Hag. They can't be worse. And I think West Ham will come again. I think Leicester will improve next season. And, of course, there's now the Newcastle factor with you know, with the Saudi money. We'll see what they do. Uh, as for Spurs, Brentford, Ivan Tony hit the woodwork twice. Harry Kane, after people tried to shoehorn him into player of the year discussions, has had two stinkers in a row uh, and doesn't warrant that conversation. Into Sunday's games, Burnley won Wolves nil. Massive, massive, massive win for Burnley and fully deserved. Um, they were the better team on the day and Matthias Vidra's goal on 62 after good work from Veghorst warranted them winning the football match. So, Burnley climb out of the bottom three. For Wolves, it's it's a third defeat in four. But, I mean, they're going to finish eighth, and that's just basically what it's going to be. Unless they collapse across their last five and Newcastle somehow make up six points on them. Uh, and even then, the goal difference. Newcastle would have to get seven points more than Wolves, and Wolves have a game in hand. Wolves are going to finish eighth. Wolves are going to finish eighth. That's just what it will be. Um, Burnley are 17th they're outside the bottom three 
They've won three of their last five and taken a draw. 10 points from 15. It's almost one third of their season's points totals in five games. But they have clawed their way ahead of Everton. Everton do have a game in hand. But Burnley have a better goal difference and an easier running. So Burnley play Watford away, winnable game. Villa at home, winnable game. Tottenham away, don't expect them to get anything. Villa away, they could get a point. I I think they'll take three points from the two games from Villa. I think they'll win one and lose one. I think they'll beat Watford. Now, what that means is that if they win those two games, they could open an eight-point gap on Everton because Everton's next two games are Chelsea at home. Chelsea are better away from home than at home. So I expect Chelsea to go there and win. And then Leicester away, and I think Leicester will beat them. So Everton would be eight points behind Burnley and with four games left to play. They'd have four games left to play. They play Watford away. Let's say they win that. They play Brentford at home. Let's say they win that. And they play Palace at home. And let's say they win that. That would put them one point ahead of Burnley. And they'd have one game left. But Burnley would have two games left. Burnley would have the Villa away and the Newcastle home. Last day of the season, if all Burnley need is a point to stay up, they'll be fine. They'll get a point at home in Newcastle. Everton would then have to go and get something at Arsenal. I think Everton are going down. I think Burnley are going to stay up. I do. I think Burnley are going to stay up. I've been saying it all along. I thought Dice should be the one to do it. They've removed him and they've they've just gone in a different direction. Mike Jackson and Ben Mee have done a really good job since taking over as caretakers. Credit to them. They've done a really good job. You know what the most unappealing game left on this year's football calendar is? The 11th of May at 7.45... Watford, who, as I said, have taken seven points on uh, on their home ground this season, at home to Everton, who, away from home this season, have taken six points. So that screams of a draw to me. Screams of a draw. Everton have won once away from home all season. That is embarrassing. Um, Burnley have done really well and and hopefully will continue to do really well to keep themselves up in this division. Chelsea won West Ham nil. A fairly dull game. Chelsea dominated the game. West Ham were missing players. As myself and Guy discussed on Friday, they went with a back three of Johnson, Dawson and Cresswell, Masawaka and Sufal as wingbacks. Uh, They left Declan Rice out, started Mark Noble. It is basically like starting with 10 men. Um, started Yarmolenko, Ben Rama played up front, left Jared Bowen on the bench, left Lanzini and Antonio and that on the bench as well. 
obviously one eye on Frankfurt in midweek. But Chelsea made hard work of this. Chelsea's home form has been really poor this season. Um, They won a penalty on 86 minutes after Lukaku was pulled back by Dawson. Dawson was sent off. I thought the red card was a little bit harsh. Jorginho stepped up, did his little hop, skip and a jump, and then rolled one of the worst penalties I've ever seen at Fabianski. Uh, But Chelsea got their winner on 90 minutes. A really nice finish by Christian Pulisic. So fair play. Good three points for Chelsea. A needed three points for Chelsea as well. They really need to get their form sorted between here and that, here and the end of the season. Because if they go into the FA Cup final playing like this, Liverpool will wipe the floor with them. Liverpool will wipe the floor with this Chelsea team if they play like this in the Cup final. They've been dreadful of late. Um, their league schedule is favourable enough. United away, Everton away, they're both winnable games for them. Wolves at home, tough one, but they should win. Uh, Leeds away, Leicester away, Watford at home. And then they obviously have the cup final as well to take care of. Brighton 2, Southampton 2. Brighton went two up. Danny Welbeck on two minutes after comedic defending. And Danny Welbeck caused the second goal. He does well on the right-hand side, plays a half-decent cross-field ball that actually kind of kills the momentum of the attack. But they get going again. The ball's played into the box, and I don't know what Salisu's doing. I, I, I just don't understand what he's doing. Salisu scores an own goal. But in the fourth minute of stoppage time, James Ward-Prowse scores with a free kick because that's what James Ward-Prowse does. And on 54 minutes, Ward-Prowse equalises uh, with a shot from outside the edge of the penalty area. James Ward-Prowse doing the two things in the game that he's actually good at, a set piece and striking a rolling ball. Because other than that, the guy is Adam Lalana. He really is. Go and have a look at his numbers. Progressive? No. Good defensively? No. Good off the ball? No. Good passer? Not really. Good crosser? Not as good as you'd expect. He strikes a great set piece and he shoots well off a rolling ball. And that's about it. But he gets his two goals. He gets two points for the Saints. They will gladly take that. He gets a point for the Saints, I should say. They'll gladly take that point given their recent form. Uh, They're 13th. Brighton are 11th. For Brighton to score two goals at home and not win, it's two points thrown away because they don't score two goals all that often. 31 goals this season uh, for Brighton in 34 games. Not great. Not great at all. That's the same number of goals scored as Watford, less than Everton, uh, only two more than Burnley. And the only other team who scored less is Norwich. It's not good. Not good. Anyway, last game then of the weekend was Liverpool 2 Everton nil for my fully biased, well, not biased, but my really honest appraisal of this game. Go listen to the Daily Red uh, swearing uh, disclaimer on that one. Um, But Liverpool deserved to win the game. There was no doubt Liverpool deserved to win the game. There was just lots of crying from the Everton fans and the Everton faithful and 
Frank Lampard and whoever else after the game because Anthony Gordon dived and thought he should have won a penalty. Um, but look, Liverpool won the game 2-0. These are the facts you need to know about this game. Everton started time-wasting in the sixth minute. Anthony Gordon's first dive of the game was about a minute and a half into the game. He was booked for his fifth dive on 23 minutes. Alan should probably have been sent off in the first half. Liverpool scored through Andy Robertson. There was more diving, more time-wasting. Jordan Pickford is one of the worst time wasters I've ever seen. Uh, as is Richarlison, who decided he needed to lie down after heading the football. Um, Robertson scored the first after good work by Salah and Origi. Origi scored the second after great work by Diaz. Richarlison should have been sent off for kicking Henderson. Dukure should have received a yellow card for shoving Henderson when he was already on the ground. Dukure had already been booked, therefore he should have been sent off. And that's basically it. Everton had 15% of the possession, the least of any team ever in the history of the Premier League. They completed 32 passes in the first half. Thiago had 22 passes by himself. Sorry, 22 more passes by himself across 90 minutes than Everton. Completed passes. 22 more completed passes than Everton across 90 minutes. Alan, playing against Thiago, completed two passes in the entire game. 118 passes less than Thiago. Thiago had 120 successful passes. Alan had two. Both of Alan's successful passes were from kickoffs. He didn't complete a pass in the game until the 63rd minute. <laughs> he didn't complete a pass until the 63rd minute. And the only reason he completed his first pass is because it was a kickoff after Andy Robertson scored. He didn't complete another pass until the 86th minute. And the only reason he completed it was because it was a kickoff after Origi scored. He only attempted four passes in open play. Mortified. Absolutely mortified for you. That's an appalling performance, Everton. Like, by fluke, you should have 25% of the ball. Atletico Madrid played Manchester City recently and actively did not want the ball and still had 27% of the ball. Didn't want anything to do with the ball. Were too busy digging trenches and parking buses and still had 12% more possession than Everton. Frank Lampard had two tactical approaches. Time waste and dive and passion. And neither of them worked. He did shout at Jurgen Klopp again, so maybe he'll get a, a certificate or something in the post from the Gammon Society. Who knows? But Everton were appalling. They were, they were genuinely, they were a disgrace. And anyone trying to give them credit for that performance should be ashamed of themselves.
because the same people were the ones disparaging Atletico Madrid when Atletico were not nearly as negative as that. You were diving in the first, well, the second minute, technically, and time-wasting in the sixth. And you want credit? People want to say, oh, act like they're plucky underdogs. They've broken every financial fair play rule going because they've spent ridiculous amounts of money. They're not plucky underdogs. They're just the biggest underachievers in the Premier League. Like, look at the teams above them right now. Burnley, a fraction of the, of the size. Leeds, just back in the division. Villa, not long back in the division. Palace, a fraction of the size. Southampton, fraction of the size. Brentford, new in the division, fraction of the size. Brighton, fraction of the size. Leicester aren't nearly as big as ever. They haven't spent nearly as much money. Newcastle, admittedly, now have money but haven't spent nearly what what, uh, Everton have spent and certainly don't have their Premier League tenure. Wolves aren't as big. Like, outside of the top seven, only Villa can call themselves a bigger club than Everton. And they're only back in the division a couple of years. Now, I know they've spent money as well, and you can argue they've spent it really badly too, but they haven't been prancing about calling themselves the, the Merseyside billionaires or talking about power shifts. Everton fans two years ago were saying that Everton were back, Liverpool were finished, Everton were going to overtake them, yada, yada, yada. Everton have 29 points this season. Liverpool have 79. There's a 50-point gap in the table. A 50-point gap with five games left. That could get to 60 by the end of the season. Now, if we compare that to the year Liverpool won the league, they also had a 50-point gap. The season before, it was a 44-point gap. Last season, Liverpool had no defenders absolutely decimated by injuries. It was a 10-point gap. The the gap has gone from 50 to 10 because Liverpool had injuries back to 50. Absolute madness. And it's going to be more by the end of the season. It's going to be a record margin of a gap between the two sides by the end of the season. They don't even play the same sport. But Everton should be ashamed of what they put forward yesterday. And their fans really need to start looking inwards. They need to look at Frank Lampard and realise the guy hasn't an absolute scooby what he's meant to be doing. He's appalling. He's the worst manager in the league by a considerable distance. And people are now laughing at you. They're laughing at you. And you're Everton Football Club. They shouldn't be. But they are. That's the nine games from yesterday. I'm going to take a break. I'll be back in a few minutes. We have some news. We have some gossip. We have some other stuff. And then we'll be done. See you in a few.
Right, welcome back. So, we do have one game in the Premier League tonight. It should be a decent game. It is Crystal Palace against Leeds. Palace are currently 14th. They've lost their last three games in a row, including the FA Cup semi-final. Leeds are 16th. They're on a bit of a roll, having won three of their last four since Jesse Marsh took over. They do look like a re-energised team. And Marsh is certainly getting uh, quite a bit out of them. They've got Calvin Phillips back, which is obviously huge for them. Going into tonight's game, uh, Roberts is done for the season. Forshaw done for the season. And Patrick Bamford, they're hoping he'll be back before the end of the year. But it, it looks like if he is, it'll only be for one, maybe two games. He might not be worth the risk. If they can get in enough points between now and then, leave him out. For Palace, Elise is a major doubt. Uh, Milivojevic should be back. Nathan Ferguson is out. I think a draw here is a good result for Leeds, but Leeds do have a tough run and then could do it picking up some points. Burnley are only two points behind them now, and Everton are only four points behind them. Now, we've been through Everton's running. It's difficult. Leeds, on the other hand, they have Palace, City, Arsenal away, Chelsea home. So if if they don't win this one or get a point here, it's very difficult to see them getting anything from the following three. You'd be going into the last two, probably needing four, if not six points. Now, Brighton at home is definitely a winnable game. And Brentford away is probably a winnable game. But you don't really want to go to the last day of the season. Get something tonight. It could well anyway, unless they win tonight. If they win tonight, they should be fine. If they win tonight, they'll be, what, seven points clear of Everton? Means if they beat Brighton, they should be all right, because I don't think Everton are going to get 10 points the rest of the way. Leeds' goal difference is an abomination, though. Uh, I, I don't think Everton will get nine points the rest of the way, to be honest. So win tonight and then focus in on that Brighton game. Beat Brighton at home and you should be okay. But, um, yeah, it is it is close. It is close down there at the bottom. You'd say anyone from 16th onwards is still in that relegation battle. Burnley and Everton pulling off some surprising results lately has kind of dragged Leeds back into it despite the fact that Leeds haven't really done anything to warrant it. Leeds haven't played in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll, go for the, I'll go for the draw tonight, though. I think, I think it'll be a fun game. I'll say 2-2. Uh, right, David Ornstein has a new piece, his Monday column. Uh, Liverpool may become first Premier League club to sign cryptocurrency form as main shirt sponsor. Crypto companies among those in talks take over if Standard Chartered don't extend. Liverpool want around £70 million over two years. Outcome likely in eight weeks. Now, here's the problem I have with this. So, in the article, it details that it's one of those kind of crypto marketplaces. So, like, I, I don't even know what they're called. Is Bitcoin one of them or something? Um, Crypto.com, whatever. 
the crypto.com recently took over sponsorship of the Staples Center in LA. So, you know, someone like them maybe. But 70 million is less than they currently earn now. 70 million over two years is 35 million a year. They currently earn 40 from Standard Chartered. There's no way they're going to look for less money. I just don't see that at all. It's also strange that it would be a two-year deal, which is quite short. Now, maybe they've got something lined up for 2025, but that seems like a, a really strange decision if, it, if they're only looking for 70 million over two years, both in terms of the annual amount and how short that length of contract would be. Also in Ornstein's piece, he mentions that Marcus Turam could be a target for multiple Premier League clubs. Liverpool are about to lose Divock Origi. Marcus Turam could make sense. West Ham are the one most in need of Marcus Turam because he would be a good alternative slash backup to Mikel Antonio. There's a lot of talk going on about Maurizio Pochettino's uh, future. There's been reports out of France that he is going to be sacked and that they're currently trying to work out a compensation fee with him. Some reports in France also suggest that Antonio Conte has offered his services to PSG. That would be outside of his normal character to go offering his services to a club while employed by another club. Uh, So that might well just be something that's been made up. But a a job swap has been floated by some. Pochettino to take over Spurs in the summer. Conte to take over PSG. Um, Adam Crafton has some updates there on the Mbappe situation. He says PSG still think that he might stay, but Real are confident he's going to them. PSG would like Pogba, but he won't. Not not at the wage demands he's currently asking. Um, Ornstein says West Ham want to keep Declan Rice for one more season, but have basically accepted internally that he will be sold in 2023. Matt Law says Manchester City want to buy Declan Rice this summer. Now, I don't believe that story from Matt Law because Declan Rice just doesn't really fit with how Manchester City play football. Where would he play? He's not an eight in their system and he's not nearly as good a six as Rodri. So I don't see how that fits. If it was Manchester United, I'd fully believe it. But I don't believe it on City. Moyes was asked about Rice recently, and obviously the spoofer came out and said that um, Rice had turned down a third contract offer. Moyes was asked about the spoofer. He laughed, said, oh, one of the local lads. Moyes said, and he was right, that he sold Wayne Rooney and Everton and Everton got better. You can get better by selling one of your best players if you invest that money properly. Now, I think a club would have to be out of their absolute minds to pay 150 million for Declan Rice, who's a 50 million pound player. But if you can get 150 million for Rice, you can absolutely turn West Ham into a potentially a top four contender. Like you'd look at them and you'd say, okay, they've got Ariola there. They've got an option to buy him for about 10 million. He's He's good enough to be a top four keeper. He's good enough to get you in the Champions League. He's played at the top level before. 
He knows what it is to be in a top club. And he's a good goalkeeper. So let's just say you go ahead with that and you get him for 10 million. So Ariola's your goalkeeper. I think Sufal is absolutely fine. I think you can get top four with him at right back. I think you can get top four with Zuma, though I I think that's the limit of his ability. Uh, Suchek, I think, can get you top four. Fornals can get you top four. I think Bowen can play just about in the top four team. I think you'd be fine with that Ben Rama, Lanzini, Vlasic type of combo at the 10. I don't think you need to buy anything there. Antonio, I don't think, is a top four player, but he's a good squad player to have. You've got Yarmolenko. Um, You've got Diop, you've got Ben Johnson, Cresswell's a solid backup, Fabianski can be a good backup. You'd basically need to, to buy four players. Left side centre-back, or right side centre-back, whichever way you want to play Zuma, because um, he has played both quite a bit in his career. Uh, you'd absolutely need a left-back. You'd need one in midfield, obviously, to replace Declan Rice, and you would need a striker. But it's not it's not outside the realms of possibility. So let's just say, let's just say, for example, that they sell Rice this summer, that they win the Europa League or, or finish second or whatever, or finish runner-up, but they sell Declan Rice this summer. Now, all reports are they're going to have money to spend anyway. So let's say they've got 50 million to spend, plus the Rice money. And let's say because somebody is really stupid, someone gives them 150 million for Declan Rice. Take the 10 off for Arioli. You've got 190 million left. You need four players and depth, four starters and depth. First port of call should be AC Milan for Ishmael Beneser. He cost about 40 million. Him and Suchek in midfield would be fine. He's more than good enough to play for any top four team. You need a striker. You've been linked before. He might not get the offers he wants. So why wouldn't you try for Darwin again? Now, you might again, you might not get him. But you'd certainly kick the tires on it. If you didn't get him, could you look at Calvert-Lewin? Could you get Calvert-Lewin for $60 million? Of course you could. So if Everton go down, you'll get him for less. Let's say Everton go down, you get him for $50 million. Need a left-back? Borna Sosa? Just sitting out there, begging someone to buy him. $15 million probably gets you Borna Sosa. You need a good centre-back? I mean, for me, look at the Premier League table. There's definitely a couple of centre-backs in the league that could do a really good job for West Ham. And I'd be inclined to potentially look for somebody already in the league. 
if Villa are willing to punt on Ezri Konza because for some reason Gerard thinks Mings is Mings is the answer and he wants a partner for him. Konza. What about Joe Gomez? What about 40 million for Joe Gomez, actually? So I've got 40 million for Gomez. 15 for Sosa, Benesser for 40, Calvert-Lewin for 50. That's 145 million spent. Now I've got 45 million left to get my depth. I don't need depth there. What if I could get uh, James Tarkovsky on a free as a bit of depth at centre-back? So I've got Tarkovsky and I've got Ogbonna when he comes back. And I've got Diop. So that's I've got five centre backs now. So I'm happy. I've got good fullback depth now with Johnson and now Cresswell. Um, you've got Yarmolenko behind Bowen. They're looking to buy that kid from oh, who's he play for Hull? Um, for the life of me, I can't think of his name though. Ornstein mentions him in the story as well. Oh, Lewis Potter, yeah. So you go get him. I think. I read Hull want 15 million. So Lewis Potter's there. There's 15 million. Antonio there. Fabianski. Now, I don't know. I think this is a better squad. If I've got, and then I've got what, 30 million left to get myself one, if not two, good backup central midfielders. Who's out there? So if I look at midfielders, get one on a on a for on a Bosman. There's got to be somebody out there on a Bosman that would make Florian Grilich. Florian Grilich would be ideal. So you get him on a Bosman, and you look to bring in one more. Maybe someone more dynamic, someone with a bit of box-to-box drive. I mean, Everton or if Everton go down, Abdullah Dukure, you probably grab him for twenty million. So if if next season West Ham had Ariola in goal with Fabianski as a backup, Sufal and Johnson as right back op- options. Borna Sosa and Cresswell as left-back options. A central defensive group of Zuma, Gomez, Tarkovsky, Diop and Ogbonna. And Dawson, if he sticks around. Suchek, Beneser, Grilich, Dukure as my midfield, or their midfield, I should say. Bowen and Yarmolenko as the right-wing options. Fornals and Lewis Lewis Potter? That's not, it's not it's not Lewis Potter, is it? Did I read that wrong? Yeah, Lewis Potter. As my left-wing options, Ben Rama, Lanzini, and Vlasic as my number 10 options, Calvert-Loon and Mikel Antonio as the strikers. That's a much better squad than what they have now. For basically Declan Rice and 
40 million if if they get found someone stupid enough. So anyway, the point of that whole exercise was just, of course, you can, and that's me doing that in five minutes. They'll be scouting for months. They'll have, that's just me picking players off the top of my head. They'll have players already lined up. They may well, I, I think Tarkovsky was, is probably one of the players they will go for. I think he makes a ton of sense for them. But the point is, they can sell Rice and get better because they don't have to replace Declan Rice as an individual. They just have to replace him in the aggregate and make the rest of the team better around him. That is very much doable. And there's a lot of good players out there this summer on free transfers. So there's no reason West Ham can't go and hugely improve themselves if they move Declan Rice on. But they'd have to reinvest that money and spend a little bit more as well. And again, it doesn't have to be any of those players I mentioned. There's there's loads of options. I mean, if you think Antonio's a top four striker, maybe you're right. Maybe you could go and get someone like Bellotti on a free, bring him in as a as an alternative option. There's loads of options for them though. Maybe you just go and get an Eddie and Ketty and you pay a tribunal fee for him. There's ways and means for West Ham to get a lot better, both with and without Declan Rice. Without Rice, though, it might actually be easier because you can basically rebuild the entire team. And then you're not necessarily overly reliant on one player and you're not worried about whether or not he's going to stay or go. There's a lot of good players in the championship. There's good players at whatever three teams are going down, there will be good players at them. Everton have good players. Burnley have good players. Watford have good players. Norwich have good players. Leeds have some really good players. So whoever goes down, you could pluck players from there, pluck players from the championship, maybe one or two from Scotland. You don't even have to go outside of the British Isles to do it. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Manchester City versus Real Madrid. Pick your combined 11 from the Champions League rivals. I'll do just that. Uh, goalkeeper is Thibaut Courtois. It's not close. Right back, I will go João Canseo because I'm putting David Alaba at left back, which is his better position. Um, Centre-back. We'll go Diaz, and I think it's Eder Militao, personally. I, I love Laporte, but he just hasn't been the same since the knee injury. And Diaz is probably slightly better than them now. Plus, Militao's pace will give that defence the cover it needs. Uh, the number six, Rodri's great, but Casemiro is better. Casemiro remains the best in that role. Um, the two number eights, De Bruyne is obviously one. I think Luka Modric is still probably the other. Up front, Benzema is the nine. That's not even up for debate. Vinicius Jr. is the left winger. 
And on the right, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling. I think Bernardo's the best player. Sterling's the better winger. Sterling would be a better fit with what the other two in the front two do. So we'll go Sterling. That's heavily Madrid leaning, to be fair. It is seven Madrid players. And it's that's... I don't know who I'd take out. Courtois is better than Ederson. It's close. It's not, it's not close. As a goalkeeper, it's not close. Courtois is just better than Ederson. David Alaba is the best fullback between the two clubs. I don't care that he plays centre-back for Real now. He is still an incredible left-back. He was the best left-back in the world for years. When people were phoning over Marcelo, Alaba was better than him. So I'm going to go with Alaba and Canseo. Militao and Diaz, I think, is the right answer. De Bruyne, Casemiro, even if I take Modric for... Would it be fair if I put Bernardo? De Bruyne, Casemiro, Bernardo? But is Bernardo's not better than Luka Modric. He just isn't better than Luka Modric. These combined 11s are always mad anyway, but I, I think that is the 11. Courtois, Cancel, Militao, Diaz, Alaba, De Bruyne, Casemiro, Modric, Sterling, Benzema, Vinicius. I think that is the 11. And, you know, as I look at that, and I put Liverpool in for City, I think it's Allison over Courtois, Trent at right back. But I'm not sure it's not Militao and Virgil with Alaba at left back. It's Thiago and Modric. And I'd probably take Casemiro over Fabinho as well. It's Salah, it's Benzema. That that other spot is up for grabs. That other spot is up for grabs. But either way, I still think it leans more to Real. Now, the issue Real have is that the players that don't get in, there's weaknesses there. So right back is a massive weakness for them. Carvial is the worst player between the two teams, be it against City or Liverpool. Um, Ferland Mendy's a decent left back to be fair so you know if you put Alaba into the middle Mendy's a decent left back um, and obviously Tony Cruz is excellent but he is a little bit a little bit questionable of late now it depends who you count as the third forward because they've played Valverde there a few times and he is awesome but if it's Asensio or Hazard or Bale they're all they're all average now, they were very, very good. They were great. Now, they're average, certainly for Real. So, that's where the advantage holds. The other two teams also have better managers and more defined styles of play. But this Real team aren't to be written off. They really aren't to be written off. Uh, we've got the gossip, but I think that is it then. 
Uh, piece here, Burnley is moving above Everton is a psychological lift. I imagine it is, and I imagine it's also a psychological blow to Everton. Like, they found out half an hour, 35 minutes before the Liverpool game, that they were now in the bottom three. That has got to play play in your mind. You have to always be thinking with that as you're playing. So um, it's more pressure. It's not something that Everton deal with well, is pressure. They, they tend to buckle a little bit. Uh, right, gossip. Arsenal are looking to bring in Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, mentioned that earlier. Salah wants to stay at Liverpool, but his long-term future is uncertain. With no agreements reached, as the Egyptian says, money is not the only factor. Uh, PSG have made Kylian Mbappe an offer of around €50 million Euro a year. Mbappe's mother is in Qatar holding talks with PSG's owners. Antonio Conte is keen on managing PSG next summer. Uh, it's from La Parisian. I don't know if I'd put much into it, to be honest. Uh, Newcastle are preparing a move for Keanu Navas. He'll definitely get a move this summer because he's too good to sit on the bench. Uh, Declan Rice has turned down a third offer. This is from the spoofer. This was the piece on Friday that Moyes laughed at. West Ham are eyeing up a move for Fiorentina's Polish keeper, Dragowski. I'm not going to try and pronounce his first name. Bartlemej Dragowski as David Moyes searches for Lucas Fabianski's long-term successor. He's really good. Like, he's really, really good. He's he's better than Ariola. He is better than Ariola. Um, is he 29 already? He can't be 29. No, no, no. Let me see. There's no way he's 29. He's 24. He's 24. I knew he wasn't 29. He is. He's very, very good. Outstanding beard. Might be the best beard in football. When he has it fully grown out, it's tremendous. Uh, Celtic are at advanced st- stages of talks with Tottenham to sign Cameron Carter-Vickers on a permanent deal. He's been really good for Celtic this year. Uh, Joe Roden has been told he can leave the club by Spurs, and Spurs have made contact with Inter Milan about signing Denzel Dumfries. Have doubts. Newcastle are tracking Benoit Badiashile and Moussa Diaby. Both would be excellent signings. Antonio Rudiger has ruled out a move to Manchester United. It's been announced he is leaving the club, obviously, this summer. And Chelsea are right not to give him the money he wants. Like, let's be clear on that. Wayne Rooney turned down an offer to work under Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United, insisting he would only leave Derby for a managerial role. Fulham want to bring Sergei Milinkovic-Savic to Craven College. He's not going to Fulham. Uh, Manchester City, former Manchester City, Manchester United and West Ham forward, Carlos Tevez, could make a shock return to football. Ah, please, please. He, he hasn't been a run for two years. Hasn't played in a year. He couldn't run for two years before that. Um, Leicester and Aston Villa are interested in signing Seiko Fafana from Len. He was linked to Burnley in the January market. Barcelona have ruled out approaching Arsenal's Brazilian defender, Gabriel, for financial reasons. I'd say there's a bit more to it than that. Um, 
Christian Eriksen is wanted by Eric Ten Hag. Okay. Uh, Man City and Man United are set to battle it out for Declan Rice. I still, I just, maybe City will buy him, but I mean, they bought Jack Grealish. They overpaid massively for Grealish. He's been largely dreadful this season. Two goals, two assists in the Premier League. Thiago Alcantara has more passes completed in the last 170 minutes he spent on a football pitch than Grealish does in the last 570 he spent on the football pitch, which is a bit embarrassing. Because um, if Grealish isn't passing, what is he doing? Progressive carries? Great. What do they lead to? Little or nothing? Oh, okay. Uh, Arsenal are set to renew their interest in Tammy Abraham. Interesting. Tammy be a good fit there. West Ham have joined in bidding for Andrea Bellotti. Well, he's not going to be bidding. He's going to be free. Real Madrid are leading the race to sign Anto- Antonio Rudiger Pestolo. Uh, enjoy him. Talks between Kylian Mbappe's reps and PSG over a new contract are moving in the positive direction. Tottenham could make a summer move for Serge Gnabry. I doubt it. Where does he play? Where is he going to play? Kulosevsky, Kane, Son. That's set. Don't touch it. Sort out the rest. That's fine. Uh, Barcelona manager Xavi wants to keep Frankie de Jong amid reports that Eric Ten Hag wants him at United. He's been fairly disappointing since joining um, since joining Barcelona. He's a really good player, but he hasn't lived up to the hype. Uh, PSV want to sign, sorry, Leicester want to sign PSV midfielder Ibrahim Sanger. The Ivory Coast International would cost at least 30 million. Um, okay. He's a really good player, but I don't see how he fits up at Leicester. They've got Ndidi and Sumare. I don't think they need him. West Ham will attempt to sign Michael Keane. No, they won't. No, they won't. Leeds and Tottenham have scouted Bristol's 10 million English midfielder, Alex Scott. Uh, talented young player. I, I don't know where the 10 million figure comes from, but um, certainly a talented player. No question. Arsenal will focus on signing one or two players this summer, says technical director Eddie. You need about eight, pal, because you've got no depth at all. Um, Crystal Palace are considering a move for Malcolm Bowie, who will be a free agent at the end of the season after leaving Derby. Derby's academy is just getting decimated. Brentford are competing with West Ham to sign Keane Lewis Potter. Uh, Juventus have made contact with Angel Di Maria's, uh, Di Maria's people. Of course they have. He's on a free. Uh, Aston Villa have stepped up their plans to sign Douge Coletta Carr after Stephen Gerrard went to watch him. He didn't go to watch him. He went to watch Bubakar Kamara. Uh, this is Football Insider, so, you know, garbage. Napoli want at least £67 million if they are to consider selling Victor Asimian. Really good player. I... He that's more than he's worth, to be fair. And I don't even think they'll sell him for that cheap. Atletico Madrid midfielder Rodrigo de Paul wants to move back to Italy uh, and is being tracked by Inter Milan. And then we have one final day's worth. PSG manager are set to sorry, PSG are set to sack manager Mirzi Pochettino with Antonio Conte in the frame, blah blah blah. Chelsea may revisit a move for Jules Kunde after it was confirmed that Antonio Rudiger would leave the club. 
Uh, that's all fine, but no one knows if they're going to have any money to spend. So naming Kunde, Delict, and Pau Torres is very Roman Abramovich era of you, but we don't know what kind of financial situation Chelsea will have this summer. None of the ownership parties have made any guarantee on funding for player signings. So we'll wait and see. Um, Arsenal have taken steps to signing Simeon. What do they do? Make a phone call? Send an email, maybe? Uh, Germany defender Antonio Rudiger is expected to join Real Madrid. Gabriel Jesus has refused to commit his future to Man City beyond this season. Arsenal believe they can compete, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham are monitoring Inter Milan forward Martin Satriano, currently on loan at Brest in France. He's very, very talented. Very, very talented player. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Uruguay putting him and Nunes out together. Um, and if, if Benfica do sell Nunes, he might be a good replacement. A smart club might try and buy both of them. You could play them together. You could play one or t'other. Nunes would be the, the better of the two right now. But Satriano is not to be overlooked. Uh, Newcastle-linked Brazil international midfielder Lucas Paqueta has told Leon he will make a decision on his future at the end of the season. Uh, I think they'll make the decision because you're under contract. Leeds have sent scouts to watch Cologne's German centre-back Timo Hubers. He's decent. Roy Keane has emerged as a surprise candidate for the vacant managerial job at Hibernian. That's a tough job. That's a tough job. Uh, Roma have joined the race for Juventus forward Paolo Dybala. Real Betis are trying to sign Isco. I mean, you know, he, he'd probably have somewhat of a resurgence there. Mohamed Elneny says he would sign a new contract at Arsenal even if he was, given, if he was not given assurances over playing time. Arsenal should absolutely be looking to re-sign him just for depth in midfield because you've already got a ton of other stuff to do. Right, that is me for today, folks. I've gone quite long, but you know how it is. It's Monday. There was a lot to do. Uh, we'll leave it there. You enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy that Palace-Leeds game. Should be decent. And uh, we'll pick it back up tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.